Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. If you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, online family, however you're watching this. Let's get into it. You are the boss of you. My son's been saying this a lot recently on the way to school. You know, he loves the idea of climbing over the fence to get right into the playground instead of going around through the proper entrance like a normal person. And, you know, we're trying to teach him about the purpose of fences, that they're actually expressly and explicitly put up so that people don't cross over them one way or another. We're also trying to teach him that it could be dangerous. Also that he could rip his pants, which are already, to be honest, super ripped. Our youngest is not getting any hand-me-downs. And so in response to this, he says to me defiantly, you're not the boss of me, I'm the boss of me. Then I try to tell him, you know, that's not really how families work but he's too busy running away from me to be moved by my excellent parental insight. And yet this is a sentiment, you are the boss of you, or I am the boss of me, that makes a ton of sense on the surface if you think about it. You know, in fact, on one hand, uh, I'm sure my children suffer from whiplash as we try to correct them after they hit each other, saying, you're in charge of your body. Maybe you've used that. <laughs> You know, this phrase on its own can certainly be helpful in building a sense of self-awareness and self-discipline rather than acting impulsively. It might also help us be aware of, you know, injustice being exerted on us from the status quo, an appeal that no one should force you to do what is evil or force evil upon you. You're not the boss of me. However, this statement can quickly go sour. And, and taint really any good which we could have gotten from it. Which is why, like our series title suggests, like our church-wide initiative suggests, we want to ask, what are they really saying? We want to examine it and hold it up to the life of faith that Jesus invites us into. And so saying something like this, you are your own boss, you're the boss of you, it certainly reveals our self-autonomous leanings. It's our individualism being lifted up as, as sacred or prioritized. And so we go from learning to be responsible for our own actions, you know, being our own boss, to being our own gods. We often see attempts to dismantle or dismiss good authorities over our life in the effort of self-realization or self-indulgence, we might say, you shouldn't hold me back from what makes me feel good. I am the boss of me. So what might have been useful has now turned dangerous. A sentiment you might use to keep your kids from acting over-emotionally and hurting the people around them is now being championed as an appeal to ignore the people around you in order to satisfy your emotional desires. Do you notice the perversion at play? How do we make sense of this? Paul makes an appeal to Timothy, 
uh, he writes this letter to him, two letters that we have in our Bibles. And the, the, the text today is going to help guide us. And so we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start at uh, verse 14. He's talking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Chapter, verse 16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul to get into the roots of this letter, he's preparing Timothy, who's uh, a young pu- pupil, for encountering people who are being lured away by myths and culture from the life of faith through Jesus. And so this is what he's concerned about. He wants him to stay in Ephesus, to spread the gospel, to build faith communities. And he wants to, Timothy to be on guard against people who are teaching false doctrines and devoting themselves to endless genealogies and myths and superstition. Paul's saying some have actually even rejected or shipwrecked their faith because of these diversions and these other stories. And so the question that we want to ask, do we write our own stories? Are we our own bosses? I want to say, I don't think so. Actually, not at all, in fact. A more accurate statement might be something like everything that we do or want is likely influenced by something or someone else. Here's a personal example. This is going to be really obvious. It's also going to get a little intimate. I remember the moment I decided I was going to shave my armpits. Some men might be fine with a more rugged, natural aesthetic, no shame, but I've been doing it for a long time and this is why. I was uh, a young adult, just graduated. I'm working at a camp cafeteria. I'm in the prime of youth, which I was confident I had mastered. I was taking not one, but two garbage bags to the dumpster with some coworkers. One had decided now would be a great time to take a picture and I, having mastered my uh, uh, confidence and physique, decided I would flex with the garbage bags. This is also the dawn of Facebook, mind you. So this picture may be posted somewhere on the internet. Some days later, some girls are looking at this picture and giggling, noting my gross armpit hair is sticking out of my short sleeves. I was crushed, (laughs) I was crushed. That day I grabbed my head trimmer and never looked back. I want to ask you a question. Are you aware of the things that are informing the big decisions that you make? Are you aware of the forces that are influencing how you live, how you act, and what you want? Because the reality is, is we all have countless moments like this. It's actually a really bold claim to say that you are the boss, because the reality is that You make very little decisions in a vacuum. We're constantly reacting to and pulling from the world around us. It's just how life works. Humanity is not individual. It's connected. 
humans, I would even suggest, aren't even primarily thinking or rational beings able to dictate their own terms. We're primarily loving or worshiping beings. And so this idea of having self-autonomy is a bit of a myth itself. Further, we prove consistently to be bad bosses. It's not even that we're good bosses. We see this in almost all of our mythological and religious literature. We see this in our history books, and we see this as we look at the world around us. Our desire for self-governance is not really producing what we want it to produce. The idea of being our own boss or being our own gods is actually creating more conflict than peace. It creates more chaos than order. It's a messy world that we live in, and I'll suggest why. Human independence is not our goal. Proper worship is. Human independence is not our goal. Proper worship is. And even if we think that we can be our own boss, it's not really how we live. We're looking for a story or ideal to build our lives around. We're looking for something to make sense of life. Think of love. I mean, Paul talks to Timothy in First Timothy that the goal of all this is love. And, and love continues to be an enduring appeal for us. Because deep down, we intuit that our lives are designed to be given away. We want to love and be deeply loved by someone. We, we live in connection. Leo Tolstoy wrestled with this. He says, my question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? We're looking for meaning. We're looking for something to build our lives on, to take cue from. So we don't really live like we're our own bosses. And once we understand this, that this is how we really live, we can ask a really good question. What story should I be building my life around? Or like this, if being my own boss isn't working, if we're looking around, if this isn't working, who should I be looking to? Is there a better boss? And the truth is, God is the ultimate authority over creation. Our desire to love and be known is fulfilled in him. He has a better story, a better plan for creation, for you and for me. How does he show us this plan? Paul, in our second Timothy text, points to scripture as divine. It's God-breathed. He points to it as an authority over his life. It's wise for salvation. And it's an essential resource for Christian living. It equips him for every good work. There's this uh, word called revelation. We need to be revealed uh, God's story. And if our infinite God is greater, more mysterious, and different than us, we need him to reveal himself to us. He does this in a couple of ways. I'm going to teach you a couple of terms for a second. One is general revelation. We can know God, even if only partially, through things like nature, history, and reason. This is general revelation. And then there's special revelation. And uh, there's a term called the threefold word of God. Jesus is the word became flesh. We see our truest revelation of God 
in the person of Jesus. He is the word of God. And then we have scriptures. The Old Testament and the New Testament are a revelation of who God is. And then we have preaching and tradition that we can look through church history and, and, and around us to as cues. So therefore, through revelation, you can know God. Maybe not exhaustively, we're finite beings, but we can know him accurately. And further, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God's story becomes the formative story for humanity to build their lives around. It confirms God's claim that he is Lord over all of this and that our attempts to be our own boss are fruitless and maybe even harmful for us. God invites us to be ruled by him and to serve his kingdom. This is what Paul is getting at through his letters. He's trying to draw people towards what he says in 1 Timothy as the life that is truly life. And so we need a revelation of God. And the scriptures actually provide some of the clearest revelation. We know Jesus through the scriptures. We know what he did, what he said, the way that he lived. And because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, we can be confident about a couple things for scripture. We can be confident that all scripture is inspired. It's all red letters. Maybe you've had a Bible where the gospels, all of Jesus' words were just red letters. But he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. All of scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He co-authors it. It's all red letters. We also know that all scripture is alive, that, the, that God reads it with us. It's the only book. Hebrew says that uh, uh, the word is alive and active, like a two-edged sword, that it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Scripture stands alone in this regard. We don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. The Holy Spirit reads it alongside of us and enlivens it. We can also be confident that all scripture is useful. It is not simply a contemplative abstract resource. We can learn how to live. It is a formative tool to guide our ethics and thoughts and behaviors. We uh, don't want to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is why 2 Timothy says it's useful for correcting, rebuking, reproofing, and training in righteousness. The reality is this. Scripture now is a prophetic, countercultural lens that keeps us oriented around God's stories. We have this pull to be our own boss. Scripture is a countercultural lens to keep us oriented around God's story. So now might be a perfect time to break down how Scripture helps us teach, rebuke, correct, and train. And you should talk about that in your small groups. But today, we're going to take a bit of a different approach. As I've been praying through this, uh, a, a phrase of Jesus came to my mind. And he said it a couple of times in the Sermon of the Mount, which you read in a couple of Gospels. And Jesus is prodding people's preconceptions of what's expected of them within the God-fearing life. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he repeats a phrase, you have heard it said this, so you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you this, don't even be angry with your brother. What's he doing? He's inviting them into a different story. 
He's correcting the way that they see the world and their place in it. And I think that this is the invitation that all of scripture draws us into over and over again from beginning to end. I've shared a couple of personal stories, but here's an ancient story that's, that's blown my mind regarding how I, I look at scripture. It's called the Enuma Elish or the seven tablets of creation. Now, if like me, you were raised in the church, you're probably under the assumption that the Bible was the first book ever written. However, however, I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers. Researchers have discovered with a, a high degree of certainty that not only is the Bible not the first book ever written, that in fact, the Enuma Elish was likely the first book ever written. And so what is it, Pastor Phil? It's a creation story. It actually has some surprising commonalities with the early chapters of Genesis, uh, particularly chapters 1 through 11. So in, in this, uh, over a series of seven tablets, you have some common touch points. So both have gods creating the heavens and earth. Both mention the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Both create humanity from a template of divinity. Both mention the nation of Babylon. If you're a skeptic, you might say that, hey, if the Bible was written after the Enuma Elish, can we really trust a copycat book as authoritative over our lives? What is God doing? Here's what I think God is doing. He was working through the original authors and the prevailing stories. They had this story, the Enuma Elish, that formed their world. And then he creates scripture and he said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. The ancient world saw the Enuma Elish in this cosmic conflict and creation story as, as fact, but God comes in to correct the way that they see the world. And the two stories while they have common touch points, are very different. What God is correcting us to is very different. So instead of a creation story that describes the world being made out of a, a battlefield and, and, and war, it's made by a God bringing order into, into chaos. Instead of humanity being made by a divine prisoner of war to be the slaves of the gods so the gods can take it easy, Genesis tells us that God creates humanity in the image of God, that we all have dignity, that we all have value, and that we partner with him to steward creation. Instead of separation between the gods and humanity, we read a story where God wants to be with his people. God is rewriting the story. It's interesting. When we try to become our own boss, our lives actually look a lot like the Enuma Elish all being our own gods in constant conflict with one another, looking to make our lives easy. Paul uses the scriptures as a place for us to see things differently, properly, where we can be corrected, rebuked, trained by God and bring order into the chaos of our life. Because God isn't just rewriting ancient stories. He wants to rewrite your story too. He wants to be your boss. Perhaps you've been lured away by false teachings or, or myths. Perhaps the lies of culture have taken root in your heart. And there's a competitive spirit where you're your own God and everyone is designed to serve you and yours. Every time we open scripture, the Holy Spirit invites us to examine the current story we've built our life on 
and then to see life the way that God has made available for you and for me. You've heard it said that you should be your own boss, but I tell you that I have that the plans I have for you are good to cause you to prosper and have life abundant. You've heard it said that this life is meaningless, but I tell you that you have a hope and a future. God as our boss, allowing scripture to form us and correct us, reveals a better story for our lives than trying to conquer and be our own source of authority. And that's good news. And that's good news. Why don't we pray, church? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We thank you that uh, Jesus is Emmanuel, that you are God with us and that we can know you and your heart and your character and your plan for us. We thank you that you didn't simply back away from creation, but you are constantly working with us, trying to correct us and bring us back into loving union with you. I pray that you would enliven scripture to us today to reveal a different story to us, that we would submit ourselves under your goodness and mercy and grace and uh, resolve, instead of trying to build something for ourselves to be our own gods, that we would resolve to build your kingdom because you uh, communicate a message of hope in the midst of our chaos that is so much better than all of the attempts that we could try to do it for ourselves. And so because of this, this is just one of the many reasons why we can say we love you, Lord. You are good to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and your plans for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take care, church. Thanks for joining us. If you're looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Alder Grove Krampus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Our Abbotsford campus has two services each Sunday, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at clcc.ca give. See you next time.